When something happens to your car, you might say, But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door. Winning. No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Explicit content is found in this episode. So listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the True Crime Fan Club Podcast. I'm your host, Lainey. Some of us dream of winning the lottery. You know, having millions to make our lives easier, to lavish extravagant gifts on our family and friends, and to take time off of work. But many winners of the lottery find that it's not all sunshine and roses. And studies show that 70% of winners are broke within seven years of winning. Well, for those who live, that is. Okay, on to the show. Abraham Shakespeare was 41 years old in 2006. He was working an $8 an hour job as a delivery man for a food delivery service. He owed back child support and had been arrested for multiple crimes throughout the years. These crimes consisted of seven felony charges and three misdemeanors. Abraham was living with his mother and did not have a car. On November 15, 2006, he and his co-worker stopped at a convenience store to pick up drinks and cigarettes. His co-worker, Michael Ford, asked Abraham if he needed anything, and Abraham asked him to purchase a couple of quick-pick lottery tickets. That night, the winning numbers of 6, 12, 13, 34, 42, and 52 were announced. Abraham had won the $30 million lottery. A few days later, their boss told Michael that Abraham had won. Abraham took the payout in a lump sum of nearly $17 million. After taxes, Abraham wound up with around $11 million. Abraham paid the back child support due, and created a trust fund for his son. He gave his stepfather a million dollars, and three stepsisters each a quarter of a million dollars. He spent nearly $300,000 in paying off mortgages for three different people he barely knew. He bought a lake house for $125,000, although he had only seen it once. He then rented it to people he had only met once. He gave his nephew's best friend $40,000, then gave his own mother $12,000 and his sister $10,000. He paid to have people buried whose families couldn't afford the expense. Abraham bought himself a 2006 Ford pickup and a 2007 BMW 750i, and a new home. The home was a lavish 6,500-square-foot home in a gated community. The home had two two-car garages, a pool, and a surveillance system. Three months after he purchased the home, 
Abraham was sued by Michael Ford, who claimed the winning lottery ticket was his, and Abraham had stolen it. Michael had demanded a million dollars from Abraham, saying if he didn't receive it, he would sue Abraham. Abraham refused and was eventually served papers. The case hinged on the testimony of the pair's co-workers. Each of the five testified that Michael had originally stated he purchased the tickets for Abraham, and then only changed his story later. Michael said, when he purchased the tickets, he put them in his wallet, then placed the wallet in the glove box. When he searched for them later, he could not find them, assuming that he had lost them. It was only later, when he found out Abraham had won, that he realized he must have stolen them. During the trial, Abraham brought a trash bag stuffed with thousands of lottery tickets he said he had purchased over the years. The jury ruled in favor of Abraham, although Michael appealed their decision, which dragged on for several years. The last hearing was scheduled for May 27, 2009. Abraham was a no-show. Family and friends had last seen Abraham in April 2009. On November 9, 2009, his family reported him missing to the Polk County Sheriff's Office. In December 2009, one of Abraham's friends, Eddie Dixon, told reporters and investigators they needed to ask, quote, that white woman about Abraham's whereabouts. Eddie was talking about Doris Donegan Moore, otherwise known as Dee Dee. In 2009, she was 37 and had met Abraham the year before. She met him through his realtor, Barbara Jackson. When Barbara met Dee Dee at a small business conference, Dee Dee was in a wheelchair. Barbara had just told a small group of people, including Dee Dee, all about Abraham and how his views on money had changed her own. Dee Dee told Barbara she was a writer and wanted to do a story about her and Abraham. She expanded and said it might even turn into a book. Barbara arranged a meeting for Dee Dee at Abraham's house. When Dee Dee arrived, she was driving a Hummer. She got out of the Hummer wearing heels and walking. It had been barely two weeks since Barbara had met Dee Dee, who told her she had healed herself through scuba therapy. Dee Dee quickly inserted herself into Abraham's life. In December 2008, Abraham liquidated a quarter-million-dollar annuity fund and gave the cash to Dee Dee. She deposited this money into a business account for American Medical Professionals, a business she ran. She told police this money was for taxes Abraham asked her to pay. However, the money was actually used to make payroll and other business expenses. She purchased his $1.1 million home on January 9, 2009, for $665,000, allegedly giving him 500000 in cash. On January 11, 2009, Abraham signed quit-claim deeds for additional properties. On January 15, Abraham signed an asset purchase agreement, selling all of his unenumerated assets over to American medical professionals for $185,000. These were loans to multiple people. When adding all the real estate and the loans together, Dee Moore had purchased $3.5 million in assets for less than five cents on the dollar. On February 9th, she became the primary manager of Abraham Shakespeare LLC, a corporation she created. She bought the debts of people who owed him money, eight people in total over half a million dollars. 
Those people then owed the debt to her. On February 10, 2009, Abraham closed an annuity account with Prudential and created a business account at Bank of America under the name Abraham Shakespeare, LLC. Dee Dee provided Bank of America with minutes of the board of the LLC and had Abraham's name added as a signatory on the account. On February 17th, Dee Dee contacted the bank again with additional meeting minutes. She was the only one who attended the meeting. These minutes documented the discovery of criminal activity by Abraham, which could result in criminal charges. Didi explains he needs to be removed as a signatory. On February 13, 2009, Didi's 17-year marriage was dissolved in divorce. On February 18, 2009, the first of many large withdrawals happened in the Bank of America account. Two separate quarter-million checks were written on the account. One was made payable to ASTAT, and the other was made payable to the Internal Revenue Service, but was deposited into the business account of American Medical Professionals, LLC. On February 19th and February 23rd, two additional withdrawals were made, $200,000 and a quarter million dollars. These were both payable to American Medical Professionals. Two $20,000 checks were written to Judy Haggins and D. Howard Stitzel. The IRS was paid $20,000 as well. In April 2009, American medical professionals used money from the Bank of America account to purchase a home on Highway 60 East for approximately $250,000. ASTAT used part of its quarter million to open an account at the Navy Federal Credit Union. An additional $70,000 from the ASTAT account was used to acquire the residence on the Highway 60. An additional $70,000 from the ASTAT account was used to acquire the residence on Highway 60. Didi used a shell game technique for Abraham's vehicles as well. In 2007, Abraham had purchased a 2007 BMW 750Li for roughly $100,000. He also purchased a 2004 F-150 truck. On January 29, 2009, Dee purchased a 2009 Lincoln MKS under the Abraham Shakespeare LLC name. Later that same day, she traded the Lincoln to Abraham for the BMW, then titled the BMW in her boyfriend's name. On February 21, Dee bought a 2008 Corvette for her boyfriend paying nearly $71,000 for the car, using a cashier's check from American medical professionals. On April 14, 2009, she traded the Lincoln in for a 2009 Chevy Silverado. She was given $31,000 for the Lincoln and paid the remaining $14,000 in cash. In that same month, Dee Dee called Centoria Butler, the mother of Abraham's infant son, and told her Abraham had left the truck for her. Dee Dee picked Centoria up and took her to the truck. However, on May 10, 2009, one of Dee Dee's associates took the truck back using a power of attorney. In June 2009, Dee Dee sold the truck at the Chevy dealership for $9,000. She signed the title as the CEO of Abraham Shakespeare LLC, which she was not. On November 3, 2009, she sold the BMW for $37,000 at a dealership. On December 5, 2009, Dee Dee took her 90,000 2009 Hummer to the Chevy dealership and said she needed cash fast, 
she offered it to them for 49000 They refused due to the economy. One of the owner's friends was there and offered to buy the Hummer. She asked him for three different checks, one for 5000 made out to her, one for 4000 made out to her mother, then another for 49000 made out to her. In the fall of 2009, when news of Abraham's disappearance became more widely known, Dee Dee told three separate reporters she could arrange interviews for them with Abraham, but these interviews never materialized. On December 5, 2009, Dee Dee contacted the ledger and sobbingly confessed to helping Abraham, quote, disappear because people tried to suck money out of him. Abraham's mother, Elizabeth, said this could have been possible because he told her once he wanted to go to Jamaica. Didi also explained Abraham wanted to leave because he was being named as the father of a child born after he won the lottery and was falling behind on that child support. Didi cried to reporters, not because she was worried about Abraham, but because she was worried about herself. She was upset because they had interrogated her. They searched her Hummer and they searched her home, the home that had once belonged to Abraham. They were looking for blood or other traces of Abraham. Investigators had also analyzed her hard drive. She had also taken a polygraph exam. As police delved into her background, they found she had a somewhat shady background. In 2001, she had a new 36,000 Lincoln Navigator and owed 46,000 on it. She took her car to a garage in Pasco County, then had a friend drive her to an area outside of Tampa. The friend tied her up, tossed her in a ditch, and left. Dee Dee climbed out of the ditch and stopped a car driving by. She told them she had been kidnapped and raped by three Latino males, who then stole her navigator. Obviously, Dee Dee created this scheme so the insurance company would pay for her stolen navigator. Dee Dee was oblivious as to the level of the investigation against her until mid to late December. On November 11, 2009, Cedric Edom was interviewed by investigators. Cedric told them he was Abraham's cousin, and the last time he had seen Abraham was in April of that year. He said he had received text messages from Abraham, but that was it. Cedric told investigators the only person who had contact with Abraham was Dee Dee Moore. Cedric discussed how Dee Dee had purchased all of Abraham's assets and was then living in Abraham's house. Cedric expressed to the detectives that he thought something bad had happened to Abraham, and that Dee Dee had something to do with it. He told them one time, Dee Dee had paid him $5,000 to hand-deliver a birthday card to Abraham's mother, Elizabeth Walker. The card was allegedly from Abraham. Abraham had given a white Crown Victoria sedan to his cousin, as well as a home. In early November, the vehicle was impounded by the police department. Dee Dee Moore retrieved the vehicle, but refused to return it to Cedric. After she gave the car back to Cedric, his story changed about Dee Dee having anything to do with Abraham's disappearance. He later admitted he was uncooperative and changed his story multiple times, trying to get the car back and the house transferred into his name. Judy Haggins was initially considered a person of interest in Abraham's disappearance. She had known him for about 15 years, 
and after he won the lottery, had stepped in to help him with collecting money from the many loans he provided to people. Once he disappeared, she helped Dee Dee with the same job, except the loans had been purchased by Dee Dee. She also drove Abraham's mother. Shar Kresnicki was Dee Dee's boyfriend. The pair had met in October 2006 and moved in together in January 2007. At the time of the disappearance, he was not formally employed and worked for Dee Dee, managing one of her many businesses. Dee Howard Stitzel was an attorney who claimed he worked for Dee Dee Moore and Abraham Shakespeare. He had created many of the documents for their financial dealings. He told police he had last spoken with Abraham on October 6, 2009, a claim later proven patently false. As the investigation progressed, Centoria contacted the Lakeland police and advised them Dee Dee Moore had contacted her with an odd offer. Dee Dee had said she would sign over a $250,000 house to Centoria if she would just tell people she had seen Abraham recently. Investigators urged her to play along and record any other phone calls with Dee Dee. Investigations into Abraham's cell phone records show that prior to April 6, 2009, his cell phone was used consistently. After this date, at 7.58 p.m., his cell phone was rarely used. A review of Dee Dee's cell phone records show that after this date, she didn't call Abraham's cell phone for a month. In the eight months that followed his disappearance and the investigation, she only placed four calls to his phone, although she had made 36 calls to his phone between April 1st and April 6th. Dee Dee's phone was typically inactive from 10 to 11 p.m. until 7 or 8 a.m. each day. On April 6th, approximately four hours after Abraham's phone went silent, Dee Dee received a call from her boyfriend at 11.48 p.m. She then received a 53-minute phone call from Judy Haggins at 2.08 a.m. On April 3, 2009, Abraham signed a power of attorney for Judy Haggins. It was notarized by Ambrose Abraham, who was present during the signing, and said Abraham was present as well. Judy never saw Abraham again. On the same day Abraham and Judy were at the notary, Dee Dee was having a concrete driveway poured at the home on Highway 60 East in Plant City. Dee Dee asked the contractors about pouring a 30 by 30 slab behind the home. She also purchased a backhoe that day. The next day was the last time Abraham was seen by his friends, Greg Massey and Poppy Saeed. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? Trust me, I have been there and I still struggle with these issues. But BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you like it's been there for me. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment, which is so convenient for me, and it really makes me feel comfortable. You can now get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist whenever you need to. They have licensed professional counselors who are specialized in LGBTQ plus matters, grief, self-esteem, trauma, relationships, anxiety, you name it. Anything you share with them is confidential, 
And if you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time at no additional charge. They have over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states, and they're available worldwide. Start communicating in under 24 hours. The best thing is it's secure, convenient, professional, affordable, and it's not a crisis line. Best of all, like I said, it's a truly affordable option. True Crime Fan Club podcast listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code TCFC. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com TCFC. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com TCFC to get 10% off your first month. Voy a ponerme la vacuna Prevnar 20 porque estoy en riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocósica, la cual pudiera llevarme al hospital. Así que preguntaré sobre Prevnar 20. 65 años o más, puedes estar en mayor riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocósica. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico acerca de vacunarte con Prevnar 20, vacuna conjugada antineumocósica 20 valente, una vacuna de Pfizer que puede ayudar a proteger contra la neumonía neumocósica con una sola dosis. Prevnar 20 está aprobada para adultos para ayudar a prevenir infecciones contra 20 cepas de la bacteria que causa la neumonía neumocósica. La aprobación continua puede depender de un estudio de apoyo. No uses Prevnar 20 si has tenido una reacción alérgica grave a la vacuna o a sus componentes. Adultos con sistemas inmunitarios debilitados pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. El efecto secundario más reportado fue dolor en el área de la inyección. Para más efectos secundarios comunes e información completa de prescripción, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita Prevnar 20 en español.com. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre Prevnar 20. On April 13th, the 30 by 30 slab was poured behind the home. On April 18th, Poppy received a text from Abraham's cell phone that said, I'm fine, just got myself into more trouble than usual. My new bookie bumped my head real hard. I'll be back, just gotta fix some things. I have power of attorney to collect for me just while I'm gone. If you can pay me off, it will help a lot of my problems. As law enforcement began to investigate Abraham's disappearance, they spoke with his attorney, D. Howard Stitzel, whose law office just happened to be the same address on Highway 60 East. When they spoke to him on November 11, 2009, he said he had spoken with Abraham on October 6. When asked how he was sure he was speaking to Abraham, he said he knew Abraham well and recognized his voice. However, on December 3rd, when investigators spoke with Dee Dee Moore, she admitted Abraham's phone had been with her since April. Therefore, the phone had been with her when she and Dee Howard said they had spoken with Abraham on October 6th. Dee Dee said the attorney had agreed to lie to law enforcement. Investigators had Dee Dee called Dee Howard and expressed concern over the lie. He never admitted he lied to investigators but instead told Dee Dee she needed to stop talking to the police. On December 11th, Judy Hagen spoke with Gregory T. Smith, a friend of Abraham's who was acting as an informant for the Polk County Sheriff's Office. Judy told Gregory that in March, Abraham had approached her and said he was worried about Dee Dee's management of his money. Judy relayed this information to Dee Dee, who told her not to let Abraham go to the bank because some of his money was gone. 
Gregory Smith had started working with the police after investigators discovered that he had been making phone calls for Dee Dee Moore to various people posing as Abraham. In one of these calls, he had called Abraham's mother while she was eating with Dee Dee. In January 2009, Dee Dee asked Gregory if he knew anyone who would be willing to claim they had murdered someone. An undercover officer met with Dee Dee acting as a man who was facing a lengthy sentence in prison. The officer told Didi he would say he had killed someone for monetary compensation. Didi agreed to pay him $50,000 for admitting this. The officer said he would need to know the location of the victim so he could tell investigators, and Didi said she would give this information to Gregory later. She told Gregory she was in possession of the gun used in the murder. On January 25th, Dee Dee contacted Gregory and met with him three separate times. At the first meeting, she advised him she was going to get the firearm and give it to him. At the second meeting, she handed the weapon to him. At the third meeting, she pointed him to the concrete slab and said Abraham was buried under it. She then directed Gregory to her white trailer on the property, where he found several gallons of bleach gloves, and a metal truff. On January 26, 2010, two search warrants were executed on the property at 5732 Highway 60 East and in the home. Investigators interviewed D. Howard Stitzel, who had been renting an office at the residence since late May or early June. The interview occurred at his attorney's office since his office was being searched. Investigators determined that he knew about Abraham's disappearance, yet had conducted transactions and made court appearances on Abraham's behalf. Therefore, police believed he might have been involved in the murder, but at the very least was possibly involved in fraud. On January 28, 2010, investigators spoke with James Moore, Dee Dee's ex-husband, he told them she had asked him what type of equipment she should use to clear the land. He recommended a tractor with attachments, but she purchased a case backhoe. She paid James $100 to pick it up with his trailer and deliver it to her. She also asked him to dig the hole and told him how big. She originally wanted the hole right at the back door, but he advised against it. She then elected to dig it farther back on the property. Once he finished digging, he left, only for her to call him a few hours later and ask him to come cover it back up. It was dark when he covered it up, so he didn't see a body, thinking it was chunks of concrete. Dee Dee told investigators she asked James to dig the hole for trash. However, after more questioning, she admitted Abraham's body was in the hole. She insisted James was not aware of the body when he filled it in. An autopsy revealed that Abraham had been killed by two gunshot wounds from a 38 caliber weapon. Ballistics tests revealed that the bullets recovered from Abraham's remains match round shot from Dee Dee's pistol. Dee Dee admitted she was present during Abraham's murder, but provided multiple scenarios as to who actually committed the murder. In her first account, she stated drug dealers had accompanied Abraham to her office trying to get around $200,000 that Abraham had stashed there. While there, the drug dealers, one of whom she recalled as Ronald, took her pistol, which was unsecured in her office. They shot Abraham 
and left. The problem with this was, she had admitted to Gregory that Ronald was a fictitious person. She also told investigators her 14-year-old son had killed Abraham. She also said Abraham's cousin killed him, she killed him in self-defense, and D. Howard Stitzel killed him. Police found no evidence linking anyone else to the slaying. It's the bottom of the ninth, mm-hmm. and you've got two strikes, D.D. Okay? I watched Cedric shoot them. So I was in the room. It was a drug deal bot that went bad, and the guy's name is, uh, uh, something. I, I just found it out. But I'm telling you, Cedric took the gun and in cold blood did not even hesitate to shoot the man, and I've seen it happen. She said, my son R.J. shot Abraham twice. Abraham was trying to choke me. R.J. walked in the room, grabbed my gun, and shot him. He was only protecting me like any son would do. Unsurprisingly, Dee Dee Moore was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. In 2019, she wrote the judge a letter stating, quote, I'm truly sorry to the prosecutor. Abraham's mom, and others that I have hurt for not being truthful. I regret my actions. However, she did not apologize for the murder. She also said Gregory Smith was the one who actually killed Abraham because Abraham was having an affair with Gregory's wife. Dee Dee's attorneys never brought this up during the trial and never questioned anyone who could have verified this version of events. Judy Haggins was granted immunity for her testimony against Dee Dee Moore. Abraham's murder is just one example of why many people advocate for the privacy of lottery winners. Abraham was a good-hearted man, albeit one who could not read and was too trusting. Dee Dee Moore saw an opportunity and took it, robbing the man of the scant winnings he had left. When he started getting suspicious, she turned to murder weaving an intricate web of lies to Abraham's family and friends. In doing so, she stole more than money, taking a beloved son, friend, and father from the lives of many. Okay, fan club members, as I conclude this episode, my one question to you is, how will you sleep tonight? Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive review and rating on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help. You can find us on most social media channels, Twitter at TCFCPod, Facebook.com slash TCFCPodcast, Instagram at True Crime Fan Club Pod, and of course, our website is TrueCrimeFanClub.com. If you have an episode request, send us an email, TCFCPod at gmail.com. This episode was researched and written by Susie St. John, Content editing by Brittany Martinez. Produced by the absolute best in the business, Neeks at We Talk of Dreams. Check them out on Twitter at We Talk of Dreams or WeTalkOfDreams.com. When something happens to your car, you might say,
But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So, just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.